Well, good day to you all, dear ones, and welcome to this 27th day of February. It is day 58 in our journey through the Bible. Hello to everyone out there. My name's Hunter. I am your brother and Bible reading coach, somebody who shows up with you every day to spend a little time together with you in the pages of the Bible. And we're going to let the pages do what they do and point our hearts to the one who is the living word of God. The one alone who has the words of life. So if you're new here today, I want to welcome you and let you know we try and keep it simple here. We simply read through the scriptures and over the course of a year, we will read through the entire Bible. The Old Testament once, the New Testament twice, but more than any of that, our desire is to be transformed by the one who is life itself. To have his life meet us right where we are in ours. To experience peace in a world where there is precious little. To move beyond our own self-obsession and begin learning to walk in the ways of Jesus. With Jesus is self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering kind of life that we might be changed, my friend. One day at a time, one step at a time. And today... Our walk is going to take us into the book of Numbers, chapters 21 through 23, and then we get a double dose of Mark, chapters 6 and 7. And I'm glad you're here. This is the word of the Lord. Numbers 21. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that the Israelites were on the road approaching him through Athriam. So he attacked the Israelites and took some of them as prisoners. Then the people of Israel made this vow to the Lord, If you will hand these people over to us, we will completely destroy all their towns. The Lord heard the Israelites' requests and gave them victory over the Canaanites. The Israelites completely destroyed them and their towns, and the place has been called Hormah ever since. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here, nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. The Israelites traveled next to Obath and camped there. Then they went on to Ai Abarim, in the wilderness on the eastern border of Moab. From there they traveled to the valley of Zared Brook and set up camp. Then they moved out and camped on the far side of the Arnon River in the wilderness adjacent to the territory of the Amorites. The Arnon is the boundary line between the Moabites and the Amorites. For this reason, the book of the Wars of the Lord speaks of the towns of Waheb in the area of Sufah, and the ravines of the Arnon River, and the ravines that extend as far as the settlements of Ar on the border of Moab. From there the Israelites traveled to Beir. 
which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Assemble the people, and I will give them water. There the Israelites sang this song. Spring up, O well. Yes, sing its praises. Sing of this well which princes dug, which great leaders hollowed out with their scepters and staffs. Then the Israelites left the wilderness and proceeded on through Matanah, Nahalel, and Behemoth. After that, they went on to the valley of Moab, where Pisgah Peak overlooks the wasteland. The Israelites sent ambassadors to King Sihon of the Amorites with this message. Let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road until we have passed through your territory. But King Sihon refused to let them cross his territory. Instead, he mobilized his entire army and attacked Israel in the wilderness, engaging them in the Battle of Jahaz. But the Israelites slaughtered them with their swords and occupied their land from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River. They went only as far as the Ammonite border because the border of the Ammonites was fortified. So Israel captured all the towns of the Amorites and settled in them, including the city of Heshbon and its surrounding villages. Heshbon had been the capital of King Sihon of the Amorites. He had defeated a former Moabite king and seized all his land as far as the Arnon River. Therefore the ancient poets wrote this about him. Come to Heshbon and let it be rebuilt. Let the city of Sihon be restored. A fire flamed forth from Heshbon, a blaze from the city of Sihon. It burned the city of Ar in Moab. It destroyed the rulers of the Arnon Heights. What sorrow awaits you, O people of Moab? You are finished, O worshippers of Chemosh. Chemosh has left his sons as refugees, his daughters as captives of Sihon, the Amorite king. We have utterly destroyed them, from Heshbon to Dibon. We have completely wiped them out, as far away as Nephoa and Mediba. So the Israelite people occupied the territory of the Amorites. After Moses sent men to explore the Jezer area, they captured all the towns in the region and drove out the Amorites who lived there. Then they turned and marched up the road to Bashan, but King Og of Bashan and all his people attacked them at Edri. The Lord said to Moses, Do not be afraid of him, for I have handed him over to you, along with all his people and his land. Do the same to him as you did to King Sihon of the Amorites who ruled in Heshbon. And Israel killed King Og, his sons, and all his subjects. Not a single survivor remained. Then Israel occupied their land. Numbers 22 Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River, across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were. They were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight, like an ox devouring grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, they cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me, because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. 
I know that blessings fall on any people you bless, and curses fall on people you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, set out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse on Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to him. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning I'll tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night, God came to Balaam and asked him, Who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me, then perhaps I'll be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, Do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. The next morning Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, Go home. The Lord will not let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to King Balak and reported, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak tried again. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what Balak son of Zippor says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything to say to me. That night God came to Balaam and told him, Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. So the next morning Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and his two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road and into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you to deserve your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I'd kill you. But I'm the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with the drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise... I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, 
I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, Go with these men, but only say what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. When King Balak heard that Balaam was on the way, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Ornon River, at the farthest border of his land. Didn't I send you an urgent invitation? Why didn't you come right away? Balak asked Balaam. Didn't you believe me when I said I would reward you richly? Balaam replied, Look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam accompanied Balak to Kiriath-Hosuth, where the king sacrificed cattle and sheep. He sent portions of the meat to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning Balak took Balaam up to Bemoth Baal. From there he could see some of the people of Israel spread out below him. Numbers 23 Then Balaam said to King Balak, Build me seven altars here, and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. Balak followed his instructions, and the two of them sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offerings, and I will go to see if the Lord will respond to me. Then I will tell you what he reveals to me. So Balaam went alone to the top of a bare hill, and God met him there. Balaam said to him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. The Lord gave Balaam a message for King Balak. Then he said, Go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. This was the message Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aram. The king of Moab brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? I see them from the clifftops. I watch them from the hills. I see a people who live by themselves, set apart from other nations. Who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as dust? Who can count even a fourth of Israel's people? Let me die like the righteous. Let my life end like theirs. Then King Balak demanded of Balaam, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them. But Balaam replied, I will speak only the message that the Lord puts in my mouth. Then King Balak told him, Come with me to another place. There you will see another part of the nation of Israel. But not all of them. Curse at least that many. So Balak took Balaam to the plateau of Zophim on Pisgah Peak. He built seven altars there and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to the king, Stand here by your burnt offerings while I go over there to meet the Lord. And the Lord met Balaam and gave him a message. Then he said, Go back to Balaam and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside the burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. What did the Lord say? Balak asked eagerly. This was the message Balaam delivered. Rise up, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man. He does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? 
Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Listen, I received a command to bless. God has blessed and I cannot reverse it. No misfortune is in his plan for Jacob. No trouble is in store for Israel. For the Lord their God is with them. He has been proclaimed their king. God brought them out of Egypt. For them he is as strong as a wild ox. No curse can touch Jacob. No magic has any power against Israel. For now it will be said of Jacob, What wonders God has done for Israel! These people rise up like a lioness, like a majestic lion rousing itself. They refuse to rest until they have feasted on prey, drinking the blood of the slaughtered. Then Balak said to Balaam, Fine, but if you won't curse them, at least don't bless them. But Balaam replied to Balak, Didn't I tell you that I can do only what the Lord tells me? Then King Balak said to Balaam, Come, I will take you one more place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Mount Peor, overlooking the wasteland. Balaam again told Balak, Build me seven altars and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. So Balak did as Balaam ordered and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar. Mark 6 Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people, and he called his twelve disciples together and began sending them out two by two giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Herod Antipas, the king, also heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, This must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, He's the prophet Elijah. Still others said, He's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, It is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John 
and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. "'Ask me for anything you like,' the king said to the girl, "'and I will give it to you.' He even vowed, "'I will give you whatever you ask for, up to half my kingdom.' She went out and asked her mother, "'What should I ask for?' Her mother told her, "'Ask for the head of John the Baptist.' So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, "'I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray.' Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl, who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, to asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of fifty or a hundred. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of five thousand men and their families were fed. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida, while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in a boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. 
They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Mark 7 One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him, what he meant by the parables he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. 
Right away a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syria, Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. Instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and give speech to those who cannot speak. Hallelujah. And now may our Lord give his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. The sick and the needy were reaching out for the tassels of Jesus' talit. The talit is a traditional prayer garment worn by devout Jews. As commanded by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers, the talit was a poncho-like garment that had fringe along the border with knotted tassels at four corners. Devout Jews were to wear it at all times. In fact, they still wear it today. And it's there to help remind them at all times to obey God's commandments. It was also to serve as a reminder to them that they belonged to God, that God had delivered them out of Egypt, and that they were his people. It was a constant and daily reminder. In Hebrew, the word for corner, where these fringes are, is knaf, which can also be translated as wings. This interpretation of certain messianic passages was used during that time from Malachi 4.2 But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, in his kanaf, in his corners. They took this to mean that when the Messiah came, they would simply need to touch the corners of his talit and they would be healed. And that's exactly what we see people doing when Jesus comes through their town. They were reaching out to touch his talit, the four corners the wings of his prayer shawl, and when they do, we're told that they were healed. It's so beautiful. This is the second time we have Mark showing people reaching out for the fringe of Jesus' garment. These were everyday people, hurting, desperate people, who were looking to Jesus as the long-expected Messiah and receiving healing. 
in his wings. There is healing in his wings for us too. But that healing doesn't always come when we want it to come. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you soon realize this. Even if we've received healing in miraculous ways, it doesn't always come when we want it to come. Sometimes God has something else in mind. Sometimes he lets these light and momentary afflictions, as Paul calls them, work something out of eternal importance in our life. He's shaping us through the suffering and through the waiting. He's allowing us to participate in a cruciform way of living. And we should not let this momentary suffering and the waiting dissuade us from the truth that there is healing in his wings. That healing is ongoing. There will come a time at the resurrection when our bodies will be healed completely. And then we will forever be living in the shadow of his wings. There will be no cancer, sickness, Alzheimer's. It will all be gone. But right here, right now, ours is to do what these people did, to reach out, to lay hold of the promise that that talit represents, to lay hold of the healing that is offered for our souls. There's a whole lot more healing that needs to go on, and some of it can happen right now, and some of it will have to wait, but all of it is going to happen. We can count on that. So today, even as you hear these words, reach out. Something eternal is being worked out. And we, together, are reaching out. Not begging or pleading to an indifferent God, but we are reaching out to the one who has come to us. The one who brings healing to me and to the whole world. And the prayer of my own soul today is that I will see the one who comes, the one who's with me, and lay hold of the one who has laid hold of me. That's the prayer that I have for my own soul. That's the prayer that I have for my family, for my wife and my daughters and my son. And that's the prayer that I have for you. May it be so. Let's continue now in a time of prayer. Feel free to read along with these prayers in the show notes of today's podcast and meditate on these words that are being spoken over you, your family, and our world. And now, let us pray. Lord God, Almighty and Everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power, that we might not fall into sin or be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth, and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far and those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold, pour out your Spirit on all flesh, and hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
And now, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Lord, grant that I might not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, in the pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in the dying that we are born unto eternal life. Amen. And now as our Lord has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to thank you for joining me today in our time through the scriptures and in prayer. It is much appreciated indeed. Hey, if you are looking for more from the DRB, more connection, more resources, more opportunities to connect with others in the DRB community, well, let me encourage you to follow us on our Facebook page because that is what we're trying to do all the time there. I recently posted a short little video there about the Bible as a barrier. Yeah, you heard that right. The Bible can become a barrier, and you can hear more about that on our Facebook page. So if you want more from the DRB, you can find it on our Facebook page. And another way to get more is to sign up for our monthly newsletter. We would love for you to get that. We try to bless you. We try to encourage you. We try to give something away. So check it out. Sign up at our webpage, dailyradiobible.com. And if you're looking for a daily reminder to keep you in step with the DRB community, you can find that as well right on the show notes of today's podcast. Click on that link there and you will receive a daily email reminder with a link to the podcast, the scriptures, an introduction to the day, and all the goodness that the podcast offers. So check that out at dailyradiobible.com or, as I said, right in the show notes of the podcast. And before I let you go, I just want to say thank you again to our faithful partners. These are the folks that have given so that this podcast can give in return. If you would like to partner with us with a one-time gift or a reoccurring gift, and that is so appreciated and so needed, and a special thanks to those who can give on a reoccurring basis, all donations are so appreciated, but being able to budget is a great thing. <laughs> knowing how to plan for the future, knowing how to grow this ministry is so much easier and so much more possible when we have 
reoccurring donors. So thank you, sisters, brothers, for the many ways that you give and partner with the DRB. To take that step, you can give right in the show notes of today's podcast. You can also go to our webpage. And if you are old school and you prefer to do things through the U.S. Post, you can reach us at Daily Radio Bible 2748 Northeast Molini Way, Hillsboro, Oregon 97124. Well, hey, we have done it. We've done it again. And I plan on being back here tomorrow to do it once more. Until that time, let's go forward in God's joy. Let's let his joy be our strength. And let us always remember this, that you are loved. No doubt about it. All righty. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. You guys take care.